Hey everyone, happy summer and warmest congratulations to all our grads this year. This is our final week in this series that we've been in since Easter called Wherever You Go. We've been going through the first five books of the Bible, reading and learning about some of the most important and foundational stories that this great book has to share with us. Today we conclude with the death of Moses, this great and towering figure in the history of God's people. Our focus is going to be on the book of Deuteronomy and on the transition between Moses, this first great leader of Israel, to Joshua, the leader who will bring Israel into the promised land. First, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for a new day. Thank you for a new week. Thank you that we can gather. Thank you that restrictions are loosening, God, and that we're starting to see the light at the end of this tunnel, Lord. Thank you for the high vaccination numbers and that people are um, taking that responsibility to do their part for opening, Lord. We thank you for all of these good things, all of this good news that's coming our way, Lord. We pray that you would be with us as we go into your word for today, that you would open our hearts, that you would reveal yourself to us, that we would see you in a new and special way, God, that we would not leave your presence the same way that we came into it. We believe you, we trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. Deuteronomy is a hugely important book. In fact, there is a significant argument to be made that if you could keep only one book, one book from the whole Old Testament, it should be Deuteronomy. It covers so much of what is foundational about the Old Testament story. It recalls the Exodus, the covenant, the first attempt to take the promised land and the wilderness wanderings, and it recounts the law. Deuteronomy is also full of foundational statements and incredible pieces of wisdom. It wouldn't be an exaggeration to say that Deuteronomy is iconic, as my generation likes to say. How about, uh, how about just a couple examples? Like, when Jesus was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, the Bible makes what has got to be my favorite understatement of all time in Matthew 4.3. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Uh, so Satan comes and tempts him to turn the stones to bread. And how does Jesus reply? Say it with me. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's Deuteronomy. It's Deuteronomy 8.3. Or the next test, when Satan suggests Jesus fling himself off the temple. What does Jesus say? It is also written... Do not put the Lord your God to the test. That's Deuteronomy 6.16. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy when he goes to fight off Satan. Or how about one of the most iconic passages in Romans? One that we love to point to in order to explain and act on salvation. Romans 10 verses 6 to 10. But then the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your heart and in your mouth. That is, in the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. That's Deuteronomy that he's quoting. It's Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 to 14. Deuteronomy also con contains amazing little bits that we can apply to our own lives. Like, look at chapter 4, verse 7, 
where Deuteronomy says, What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them? The way that our Lord, that the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him. Now, obviously this verse is wrapped in the nationalistic concept that Israel is the special nation. But as Christians, don't we have that same promise? That the Lord our God is near to us whenever we pray to him? Jesus says much the same in Matthew 18, 20, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. And of course, Deuteronomy also contains a reiteration of those foundational words which we call the Ten Commandments. But not only that, it also contains the Shema, that foundational passage of the identity of God and God's relationship to Israel in chapter 6, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. There's more. I, I can't read it all right now, but you get the idea. And I bet you see some more echoes in there that come up elsewhere in Scripture. Another beautiful passage that you'll probably feel gets echoed in the New Testament is in chapter 10, verses 12 to 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. I think that comes up in the Old Testament, too. But, like, like... That's a passage that we see echoes of in the Bible. Deuteronomy is a hugely important book. I really encourage you to take some time and get to know it, and to know the God whose heart is behind it. But that last verse that we read also leads us to the next thing that we need to know about Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is Moses' final speech to Israel. Imagine, imagine that you were going to die, like, like shortly, and you could write one final letter. What would you say? What sorts of advice and knowledge would you try to pass on? What lessons and wisdom would you hope that the next generation carries forward? I'm, I'm young enough that asking how old I am isn't considered rude. So I'm 33 years old and my kids are little. My son is four, my daughter is two. They have a lot of life ahead of them and hopefully so do I. I hope that I'm still closer to the beginning than I am to the end. But that doesn't stop me from thinking about who these little people are becoming. What sort of legacy I'll leave to them, what lessons I hope they learn. And I'm sure that's a feeling that many of you can relate to. Watching the next generation come up and make their own choices is one of the scariest parts of getting older. Sometimes you can look at those decisions and see the heartache that's coming long before the person making the decision sees it. And sometimes, you look at a decision and you have no idea how it'll play out. And in some ways, that's even scarier. Moses has led the people of Israel for 40 years. He spent the first third of his life living in privilege as the son of the daughter of the Pharaoh. He spent the second third living in exile, keeping herds in Midian. It wasn't until he was 80 years old that Moses had had the burning bush encounter and then led the people of Israel out of Egypt under God's mighty hand of miracles. He led them literally through the Red Sea to the mountain of God where they received a covenant with the Almighty. He brought them to the edge of the promised land where they turned away. He led them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness until that whole generation had died. And now he 
stands again on the edge of Canaan, but he won't be part of it. That story comes from Numbers chapter 20. In fact, it's a very similar story to Exodus 17, when Israel camped at a place called Rephidim. Rephidim? Who knows? There was no water, and the people were quarreling with Moses over their thirst. I think we touched on this story two weeks ago. Moses, at God's command, takes his staff and goes out and gives the uh, gives one of the stones a big old whack. The stone cracks and out gushes water, enough for the whole community. They called that place Masa, which means testing. And in Numbers 20, they're in a very similar situation, except now a lot more has happened. Since Exodus 17 and they're camping at Masa, a lot has happened. Israel has been to Sinai, they've received the covenant, they've fought and won a battle against the Malachites, they've refused to go into the Promised Land, then they changed their mind when God said fine, then they lost a battle against the Canaanites because God wouldn't go with them, and now they're back in the desert, though it seems that they've learned little. Once again, the people quarrel with Moses because there's nothing to drink, but this time God doesn't tell Moses to strike a rock. This time God tells Moses to take the staff go out in front of the assembly and speak to the rock. But Moses doesn't do that. He hits the rock with the staff, and nothing happens. So he hits it again. And this time the rock splits and miraculous water comes shooting out once again. But in Numbers 20, verse 12, it says, But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. So Deuteronomy is Moses' final address to Israel. He won't be entering the promised land. And instead, he gives them this last sermon, this last book. So what does Moses do? He reminds them of what's happened. This is so crucial, and it's been a bit of a theme these last few weeks. And I don't want us to miss it. The name of the book in Hebrew is Devarim, which means the words. In this case, the words of Moses. It comes from the first sentence of the book. But in Greek and in English, this book's name is Deuteronomy, which means the second law. Because Moses spends a huge portion of this book reiterating the law which God gave them. Depending on how you count it, this section is about 15 chapters long. And in a book that is only 34 chapters, almost half is given to the recounting of God's law. Moses spent, and Moses spends basically the whole book before this section, almost the whole 11 chapters, recounting the history of Israel from the Exodus up to the conquest, since obviously that hasn't happened yet. Moses is doing two things here. One, he's reminding and teaching the people how to live. He's showing them once again the right way to honor God, to live well. But second, Moses is also trying desperately to teach the people how to not die. Moses' story is a deeply tragic one. Think about all that Moses has seen. Not only has Moses seen the incredible provision of God, the powerful hand of God at work in the story of Israel and the covenant that God gives, but Moses has also seen the wrath of God at work. Moses has seen a lot of people die. Like, a lot. Moses has seen firsthand what happens when people turn against God. Moses has seen people consumed by fire from heaven. He's seen venomous serpents tearing through the camp, killing Israelites. He's seen the very earth open up to swallow people whole. He saw his own sister Miriam struck with leprosy for how she turned against Moses and against God. 
He's buried both Miriam and his brother Aaron, though it wasn't related to the leprosy. And Moses has been wandering in the desert for 40 years, literally just waiting for a generation to die off. And they do. Some 600,000 people. Moses has seen a lot of people die. And Moses knows that those people died because they disobeyed God. So in his final moments, Moses is turning to the people of Israel and he's begging them, don't turn away. Love and obey God so it may go well with you. Moses spends all of chapter 28 laying out the benefits of following God and laying out in detail the penalties that will happen for turning away. These are probably verses that you recognize. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands, I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you. If you obey the Lord your God, you will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. That's verses 1 to 6, but they get echoed in 15 to 19. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all of his commands and decrees that I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed and the crops of your land and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. You will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. And that chapter goes on. Like that was just a snippet. Moses is in a deep state of heartache. He's worried about his people. He once told Pharaoh, let my people go. But now it is God who says to Moses, it is time. Let my people go. You've led them long enough. Now they have to go on without you. Many parents have felt this way. I've spent so long watching over this child. How can I let them go? Fortunately, Moses had the assurance of God. Moses had laid his hands on Joshua and seen him filled with that same spirit of wisdom that God had given Moses. Moses has traveled far. He has seen many things, many great acts of God, and many terrible acts of wrath. And yet God has been his companion through it all. And on Moses' final journey, God is his companion still. In Deuteronomy 34, we read, Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land. The Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor, but to this day no one knows where his grave is. God not only walked Moses up the mountain and stood with him and showed him the land and spoke to him in his final moments, but God buried him as well. Did you catch that? Truly, Moses could say, the Lord has been with me wherever I go. And Deuteronomy reminds me of another part of the Bible, one that doesn't make explicit reference, but is very much in the same vein. In the Gospel of John, chapters 14 to 17, we read Jesus' final address 
to his disciples before the cross. Chapter 13 is the Last Supper, and chapter 18 is Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. But this whole period between, four whole chapters, 14 to 17, is almost entirely red letters. Jesus lays out amazing teaching in these passages, some of the most treasured words that we have. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is my command, love one another. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. All of those words, all of those words are from that one section of scripture. What an incredible passage. Jesus too is heartbroken to depart, but Jesus leaves with a much greater sense of hope than even Moses. In this same section, Jesus also promises the coming Holy Spirit, who dwells in our hearts if we are believers and followers of Jesus Christ, a companion for always, the very Spirit of Christ. And we have those final, special final words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Joshua and the Israelites continued after Moses had left them, but God went with them. And though we no longer have Jesus walking with us, we have the Spirit living in us to lead us and guide us into all truth. God gave Joshua this great command and promise, and it is for us as well. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Have a great summer. Go with God.